0: Oh,
1: Recorded live.
2: Now, here are your hosts, Dave A.C.
3: and the Sixth Doctor.
2: Hello everybody, and welcome to the Gotham Collective. And no, he's not my father, he's just Dave A.C. Hello sir.
4: Hi, and apologies to Darth and any other purists for us to uh, mixing our little... uh, Theme with Star Wars music. <laughs> I thought that
5: was absolutely fabulous. And I'm a hardcore Star Wars fan.
2: Good. Excellent. Well with that ominous voice <laughs> let's introduce who's on audio today. You just heard the wonderful voice of Kobo. Hello Kobo
5: Hey and how are you?
2: Very good, thank you,
4: sir.
5: And hello Dave, how are you? Uh,
4: fine indeed, thank you.
2: Also joining us from across the waves is Mr. Darth Skeptical. Or is it?
4: (laughs) I hope I haven't put him in a funk.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Darth, Darth, come in, Darth.
4: Stop building the Death Star and speak to us. Mm. (laughs) Well, we'll come back to Darth.
2: Also joining us, he's not a zero, he's just Perry G. <laughs> That's impossible. <laughs> How are you, sir? Hello, I'm fine. That's good. That's good. Also on the line we have Jeff, the Seventh Doctor. There, Jeff.
3: Got a bad feeling about this. <laughs>
2: it's it <today>? cold him. <laughs> it's cold him. There's always a bad feeling about this. <laughs> Uh, happens every time we do a show. Yep. <laughs> I'm doing alright. <laughs> good. Uh, dear. And on the telephone, it's Mr. Cuddly Ken.
4: Uh,
6: Hi, Ian. Hi,
2: Dave. How are you doing today? Good
6: good good, 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 good. I'm so proud to be part of this hive of scum and villainy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Never has there been a truer word, word spoken in jest. <laughs> <laughs> Right. That's enough of the riffraff on the uh, on the audio. Yeah. Let's see yeah. who's let, under. Let
4: the wo- let the Wookiee win.
2: Let's mm-hmm. see what's under the <laughs> let's see what's under the cone.
0: Control new agent training program section 3.5. The cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use.
5: The
2: Cone of Silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable Cone of Silence. What? What? <laughs> yes, and under the cone we have Cywab, Mr. Randall Thor, and the silent cuddly Ken. <laughs> yes, he's also a silence. But you knew that already. <laughs> and Dara says we don't need to see his identification anyway. <laughs> These aren't the droids we're looking for. (laughs) All right. Uh, There's only one more person to introduce, and that's the Wookiee. Oh, I mean the Typing Monkey. It's news time.
4: Go, Typing Monkey, go. Mm.
2: Feast or famine it is. Feast or famine. (laughs)
4: All
2: right, um, Dave, you've got some, um, some, some news for us before we get into news proper.
4: Yeah, this is news that uh, is maybe for more for people who are into podcasts and podcasting and uh, listen to many of the Doctor Who ones. Uh, from the Doctor Who PodShock. Ken Deep, who has not been on some of the recent episodes because of work commitments, but is well known, obviously, to the listenership. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, is uh, well, well known in the podcasting and Doctor Who world. He's, he's fine, but he has suffered... Um, a heart attack this last couple of days. And uh, he is in hospital, though hopefully expected to be out in a couple of days. This was uh, B- uh, Billy, um, known to many as uh, White Robo, um, who has appeared at conventions as the White Robot, uh, had posted the information up. Um, I've managed to get in touch with Lewis, because so, Lewis has very limited uh, internet connection, so he was unaware of it. Uh, saw a post from James, uh, also PodShock. Uh, so, so the PodShock, uh, you know, A-team gang know the situation, but very sad. We've all been sad at all the events that surrounded uh, Lewis recently, and um, of course, uh, hundreds of thousands—well, quite a few hundred thousand more in New York. But this is uh, personal to the podcasting world. So, Kendi wish you well. And um, I'm sure most people like me, late, well, it was late last night for me, it must have been uh, 10 o'clock or so Eastern time that uh, the information went out on Facebook. So that's Ken Deep uh, doing well. I don't know how, how big, a, you know, how major it was, but um, he's expected to be in hospital for two or three days and then hopefully released. Very sad. I don't, anyone, Thank you, Dave. <clears throat> I don't think anybody else has any further news to add to that. I'm sure they, you know, agree with us and would like to pass thoughts on Tim and his wife. Yep. Okay. Right. Well, news just days. to separate, yes, yeah, separate <laughs> that out. Then <clears throat> let's go to Kobo for some uh, more exciting news.
5: Yeah, there's a Doctor who- Prequel for the Christmas special called The Great Detective. And we see the Lizard Woman and her assistant. And
4: Spoiler warning first.
5: Oh, yes. Not just for the
4: people in the room, for the people listening.
5: Oh, yes. Uh, but you can't spoil a prequel as Darth said, so... Just go to the BBC website or YouTube. You can grab the link with Chad Grabber. Um. It's a wonderful little special with hints of darker things to come. Because they're begging him to solve the situation. And he's like, I don't do that anymore. I'm retired. And he's just in a darker, in a very much darker vein. Which I'm very excited to see. I don't know if anybody has any other thoughts on it, but that was my take on the whole. Yeah, now, we,
4: we just need a little clarification there. There were two things that you can see, isn't there? One is this sort of little teaser mini thing which presumably won't form any part of the Christmas special and then there's um, the the shorter one as well isn't there these were both aired on BBC children indeed and apparently from what we've been told Dale says that um, they're not region locked so um, it uh, usually with some of these things uh, y- you have to sort of do a little bit of Jiggery pokery to be able to watch them, but apparently they are open to be viewed. Anybody it's else? To to know.
5: Yes, they are open worldwide.
4: Okay. Anybody else want to come in on, on that? Uh, if not, we'll go to Perry. Or Perry might want to just make a comment on that. Oh, well, um, I just having watched it about <laughs> 15 minutes ago.
1: Um, yeah, I thought it was quite funny. I like the. Um, I also liked the little intro and, and outro by Matt Smith and Jenna Louise Coleman. Um, I guess as part of the Christmas in Need.
5: Um, oh yeah, that was fundraiser. they're they're quite that.
1: funny. And but yeah, I guess um, apparently there's a trio of of crime solvers, in the I can't tell exactly what in the Victorian era, it seems like, and uh, some familiar faces, I don't know how specific people want us to be, but um, but some familiar people um, from A Good Man Goes to War, it seems like the same characters mm-hmm. there, and uh, they're looking for crimes to solve, as Kobo said, and uh, the doctor shows up and basically says, thanks, but no thanks, I'm not doing this anymore. And I like the little outro because uh, Matt Smith says, will, will anyone convince the Doctor to help save the world? And General Louise Coleman just says, yes. <laughs> and he goes, thanks a lot <laughs> for ruining it. <laughs> but I thought that was pretty funny. And they get and there to was this a good lovely
5: little and... argument about the name Minisode, which I thought was oh, yeah. a lovely little side piece. Mm-hmm.
2: They seem to have great chemistry together. I don't know. I like <laughs> I like the two of yeah. them already.
1: <laughs>
7: yeah, yeah. All right, can I just say that in one little, tiny, behind-the-scenes sequence, Jenna Louise Coleman is instantly more likable than who was it that was before? Who is it that was before? Uh,
1: who, who remembers? <laughs>
7: yeah.
2: Some, some, yeah. some ginger kid.
7: Karen Garrett, <laughs> in two years of Doctor Who Confidential interviews, I mean, she just wipes the floor. I mean, it's great. It's the, the marvelous thing about the show that you, you see somebody new and instantly you gravitate towards them and you say, I don't need to know anything about the past. We're doing something different. And uh, I, I am, uh, even though she's not in this uh, prequel, uh, just that little bit of interaction between them gives you some sort of indication of what might be happening. Well, I guess we have a little bit from her, her previous appearance, but you know they were never in the same room together. They were never Apparently
5: actually it's a bouncing off.
7: Of each oh, well, well, now no. we're on to something. Who knows? But um, well, they had uh, a
1: little behind the scenes uh, back and forth around the trailer, which we're not going to talk about. Um. Well, anyway, oh really? Was, yeah. So mm. which was which was similar in, but but they were. They were talking about the nature of the uh, new companion a little bit. So as somebody who's trying to avoid... Sorry. Yeah, uh, but that's all I'm going to say.
7: No, but as somebody who's trying to avoid trailers and spoilers, I haven't clicked on that. So are you saying that this little segment is before the trailer so that I could quite yeah. easily stop if I wanted to? Yes. 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 Oh, that's awesome news. But yeah, don't it's know. about...
1: I don't I could know. tell you... I could watch I could watch the trailer and, and let you know exactly when, but I'm pretty sure it's before they show the... Or maybe it's after. I, I'd have to double-check.
2: I've only seen you know? two separate entities out there anyway, so... Jeff, I do you have some
4: info? Well, I,
1: I, I don't know if you want to watch it, uh, Darth, because there could be a bit of a spoilerish, yeah, issue there. So. Uh, oh, yeah. okay.
7: Well, that's good news. That's good news here.
4: Hmm.
1: Yeah. well, I, The one that I watched was the one from, I think, from the BBC's page. So it might be different right. than the one on YouTube. Well,
4: Mike has put in text, the prequel was in the first half hour of Children in Need. The trailer was in the third half hour of but, Children in Need. But what
1: Dart's referring to is a little back and behind the scenes back and forth here.
4: Ah, right. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, I'm clicking on the YouTube link to the trailer. and I'm going to find out.
4: Well, can we come back to you and just find out the, the news yeah. that Ken has? Please. But before we move away, should oh. we not talk about the other
7: cultish elements of Children in Need, like the Morcombe and Wise? You know, not kind of fancy. Yeah, that was kind of cool. I mean, if you're a fan of technology and using technology, I and mean, it was not seamless, you could definitely tell that it was some trickery. But the basic deal is, you got Chris Moyles um, appearing to dance with um, Eric Morcombe and
3: uh, Ernie <laughs> Wise.
7: There you go. And um, of course, they're both dead, and I think they're both dead, right? They're surely both yep. dead, aren't they? Okay, and, and so they had to, uh, you know, do this thing where they project um, kind of the image of body doubles with the face of Morkum and Wise on those body doubles, so that they're dancing around. It, it's really quite clever. Uh, it's not perfect. It's not seamless. But it gives you an idea of technology that the BBC has that they might be able to incorporate with Doctor Who later on because they might be able to improve this technology just a little bit, and therefore you might see, you know, William Hartnell interacting with um, Matt Smith. I mean, it could be done. One would imagine. Um, but it's an interesting little thing to to look at. I guess that's this children's needs equivalent of like the Muppets doing the Manamana song from last year or whatever. Um, and I suppose if you're really, really a fan of Strictly Come Dancing or as it's called here, what is it called here? Dancing with the Stars, then there was a clever bit of um, sort of a a redo of the um, uh, James Bond, Queen Elizabeth skit from the beginning of the Olympics. Wherein you had like the two worst performers on um, Strictly Come Dancing mm-hmm. acting out the parts of Bond and Queen Elizabeth, yeah. kind of. That
4: was kind of. Anne Anne and, and Russell, what's it? Yeah.
7: I don't know his name, but Anne Whitacom, of course, has been Russell in Doctor Grant. Who before. Yeah. Um, and that was mildly, you know, and then they go out and they do a really horrible dance, and it was kind of mildly funny. Um, was there anything else that was. Some EastEnders thing? Was there some yeah, usually? Uh, uh,
4: I actually only watch the the highlights. Uh, if you don't want to watch it mm-hmm. all, uh, the BBC did um, a highlights sort of hour. So yeah. you'll certainly have the Morcom Wise bit in that. So that might be easier digestible yeah, part it, to watch. It, it should be pointed out that on the official BBC
7: YouTube channel, the highlight clips <sighs> are all available um because of course they want all these clips to go out because at the end of each clip there's a you know a sign for people to contribute to children in need and you should be aware that you can contribute to children in need no matter where you live in the world and just watch any one of these clips and you'll see at the end a a way that you can contribute and I guess we should also say that in the same way that an American can contribute to children in need a British person can also contribute to the Red Cross for sandy relief um so you know, no matter where you are in the world, if you want to help good things, you can find a way to do it. Yeah, and, and, yeah, there's, and
2: these, a, there's an entire yeah. channel, uh, BBC YouTube channel, which they've got mm-hmm. just about everything from from the Children in Need special. That you can yeah. kind of Absolutely. watch there if you go browse their videos. You'll see a whole section for for everything from uh, Children in Need. Yeah. There you go. And in
4: these straightened times, they actually beat last year's total... They got over 26 uh, million in. But, of course, the, 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 the final total will hopefully be maybe double that by then. Uh, and we've got some times here, Perry, is it? Um, When does it start at?
1: It, the actual trailer starts at the 26-second mark of the YouTube link that I put in. if you Or if you go to the YouTube page for Doctor Who Christmas special trailer, Children in Need 2012, Um so there's a little back and forth in in what looks like the wardrobe, <laughs> yeah. the wardrobe closet between Matt Smith and John Coleman that lasts about 25 seconds. All right. And so
2: so if you it's
1: stop a it, I put in it there, is which is actually from sure. the
8: link
2: okay. that I put in is actually from the BBC YouTube page. Um, it just has um, just the prequel. And then at the very end, they're talking about the trailer's coming up next, but it's not actually linked. They've got a link there to click on to to go to the next video, which is the trailer. But if you just want to watch the prequel, um, it's on uh, the BBC channel on YouTube. It says uh, Doctor Who, The Great Detective, Christmas special, prequel, Children in Need, 2012, BBC One. And it's just that. And then there's another link in there to go to uh, the trailer. If you don't want to be spoiled, then watch that one and not the other
4: one. Great. <laughs> okay. Anybody else want to make any comments before we move to Ken's item? And
5: I'm assuming everybody's seen the prequel, or at least everybody in the room, and spoiler warning for those who are listening, I, lo- I loved Bye. the Santorin when he was talking about. Declaring war on the moon. Hmm. That was brilliant. Bit silly, though.
7: <laughs> Gotta be said, doesn't make any sense in the world, but, yeah.
6: It's funny. <laughs> but it was wonderful. Um, sure. however, very very quickly, I am sold for the Christmas special if this is any indication of what it's going to be like. Um, it. The atmosphere was just beautiful. Costumes, the whole feeling—I I can't wait for it. I mean, it just—it if this is an appetizer, give me the whole meal. It was great. Um, Ken, did you watch the trailer? Didn't watch the trailer. Yet. Okay. I I watched the prequel just now, like a lot of us just did, and I was just chuckling and enjoying it. Um, when I clicked before, it was the. Um, the BBC site at the time it wasn't playing on my device, so I'll get it a different way. I'll watch it later.
4: Yeah, you do have to be careful because you 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 might not even want to know the title of the episode, and, and that I think is contained as well. So, oh, okay. uh, and
6: oh, I just uh, that's been already. Um, well
4: on, right.
6: on Facebook? You can't help it; it's all over the place with, right. and with pictures. And um, yeah,
4: right. And Perry very kindly has put uh, on our CutThem page an actual clickable link to the uh, the Christmas special prequel. Yeah, um, I didn't do that. Okay, Ken, do you have some other yes um news?
6: There's been some uh, Gallifrey attendant news this week. Little unfortunate news. I'm quoting. Uh, from the information that was given on Thursday, with great regret, we must announce that we've just been informed that Sir Derek Jacoby has had to withdraw from his appearance in February, filming for Vicious, a new TV series starring Jacobi and Ian McKellen that was just announced early last week, has been scheduled through February, including our weekend, Tenth Planet events, asked us to extend Sir Derek's Best Wishes to all our attendees, and he hopes he can make it out in the future year. And But this is interesting. Gallifrey One will have a new guest block to announce at the end of this month, including a classic series, Doctor. So please stay tuned for more. Um, sadly, Derek Jacoby won't be there, but he would love to be there in the future.
5: So do we know whether Vicious is coming on BBC or ITV? Or do we know anything about that?
6: I think it is a BBC One series. I don't have exact information on it yet. I'll keep you posted on that. Okay. I'm sure it's available through the usual channels.
4: (laughs) All right. Um, Let me just uh, add some other news in. This is uh, actually... uh, James Bond movie related. Uh, just the news on my BBC Sunday Times, and Darth's got some further news that will follow this. But um, uh, Daniel Craig is to receive more than $50 million, £31 million, to star in the next two James Bond films. Um, the first for which should be ready by the autumn of 2014, the second for sometime in 2016. Uh, and it, The deal places Craig near the top of the Hollywood pay league vying with Tom Cruise and Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, payments to Bond stars have risen massively over the past half century. Uh, when Connery, Connery was plucked from comparative obscurity in 1962, he earned just $17,000 for the first Bond film, Dr. No. Uh, Connery's prey rose to a quarter of a million from Russia with Love. Um uh then, then he turned star in diamonds or forever. So um the average per film, the amounts at the time at Sean Connery um two hundred and eighteen thousand was his average pay packet. George Lazenby thirty four thousand. Roger Moore one point four million this is in pounds by the way. Timothy Dalton two point four million pounds. Pierce Brosnan 6.1 million pounds, Daniel Craig 9.6 million pounds, uh, and then it gives the average uh, in terms of today's money. So um, Sean Connery's uh, two, 218 thousand equates to 3.2 million, and Timothy Dalton's 4.2 million equates to 5.4 million. So um, uh, little is known about the next two Bond films. I wouldn't tell you if I knew anyway. Uh, but the screenplay will become... Is that a spoiler if I see who the screenplay comes from? I take it not. Uh, John Logan. Uh, uh, one of the three writers of Skyfall. And I believe Darth has some more information about um, the box office of uh, Bond films.
7: Yeah, this thing is just incredible in terms of the, uh, the box office reception. And a very smart thing done here, um, which isn't always done, it should be pointed out, uh, by Eon Productions. And, of course, what they did here was they said that their primary market was not the United States, um, which, you know, fair enough, it's a British company that's making it, but it is MGM putting it out. Um, and they got MGM and, and Sony to go along with the, the notion that where they really saw the money was to launch it in the rest of the world and then come back to America with a head of steam. And that's, that plan seems to have just worked like gangbusters because this thing, first of all, it should be pointed out, let's look at a lot of the metrics on it because it's, it's just it's fantastic.
4: fantastic. Um,
7: the um, The total gross in the U.S. right now. And this is unadjusted dollars, is about $161 million prior to this weekend. So we don't know exactly, you know, th- this number is not going to be right. But it's $161 million prior to, well, I guess prior to today, I should say. Um, and that puts it almost at the top anyway. The only two films that are better than it are Casino and Quantum. And, you know, they both are only about. Well, let's call it uh, nine million. Well, no, eight million. Eight million gets um, Skyfall above Quantum of Solace. One can easily see that this will be an eight million dollar day. Um, so we can say that by by tomorrow, Skyfall will be the biggest grossing unadjusted dollars um, film in the franchise in the United States. Only barely, though. Um, it's really going to take another week for it to be clearly the on top. And it's also going to take another week for it to be on top, um, in sort of an adjusted sense, because we can. If you make 169 million this year, then that's less money than doing 169 million for Quantum four years ago. So we really got to get up into about um, let's call it 180 for us to be clearly above where we were before. And it looks like we're going to get there. Um, The other thing is the opening weekend in the U.S. now. Opening weekend is clearly better. And this is where the strategy of going first abroad and getting a lot of great um, press on it from England and from Australia and from other English-speaking outlets before it came to the United States. And we see that Skyfall's got like 88 million for its um opening weekend in the United States. Quantum only had sixty seven million, and then everything below that is just, you know, really below that. So by far this has got the best opening weekend of any James Bond. And even when you do adjusted, if you do adjusted, it's got um you know, like a ninety million uh opening weekend, and that's Again, much better than Quantum of Solace, much better than some older movies that had great opening weekends as well. Um, So, great on that scale, too. The big thing for me, though, is not the American gross, but the um, worldwide gross. This is unadjusted worldwide gross $669 million. Mm -hmm. Now, that's ridiculous for a Bond film. That is absolutely ridiculous. The next one after that is Casino Royale, and that's five hundred and ninety nine next one after that is quantum, and that's five hundred and eighty six. And then everything else is just you know, miles behind that. The next thing below that is Die another Day, and that's four hundred and thirty two So I mean, we're talking a massive difference between the Craig era and the Brosnan era, and of course, everything behind that as well. So, I mean, we're talking really, really very strong numbers, um, which is great, you know, considering all of the financial difficulties that were in assembling this thing. If this had been a dud in any way, shape, or form financially, I think, you know, that could have been worrying for the Bond franchise. But it's turned out not only to be an okay hit, but to be a fantastic mega hit. And they're really thinking that it could easily be the first Bond to go over a billion, uh, because you've got a lot of these markets where you're not seeing much fall off. And we should point out,
4: it's still doing very well in the United Kingdom.
7: Where yeah. it's been out for, what, Dave, a
4: month? Yeah, like I, w- I waited three weeks because uh, I was thinking, mm. I had trouble getting in? So, yeah.
7: Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's, you know, breaking all kind of British records. And it looks like it probably will
4: be the biggest...
7: Uh, Best. What am I trying to say? The uh, highest-grossing uh, British film of all time. It looks like it's going to eclipse the Avatar record, which is a, a 150 million or something like that. Um, I think it are currently at 101 million or something like that in the UK, and you know nothing is showing any kind of signs of depression there. Um, I mean, you're talking about 30% drop off, which in in movie terms, that's freaking great to only have a 30% drop-off uh, from your opening weekend is amazing if you're talking about a film that is in its fourth week of release. Um, it's doing very well in Germany, uh, which is no surprise because Germans love Bond as well. But, I mean, it's doing better than predecessors. And, you know, it is a – and I, I said this about of Solace too, last time we were talking about that. It is a vindication for what we might call the Barbara Broccoli era. You know, Barbara Broccoli, obviously the daughter of the uh, Albert Broccoli, who started this thing. And the difference between the Barbara Broccoli era and the Albert Broccoli era is, you know, Albert Broccoli films, you know, sometimes they did better than the one previous them, sometimes they didn't. You know, you had Octopussy, which was better than what it, than For Your Eyes Only, but then. You know, A View to a Kill, not really, in terms of its gross, better than Octopussy. So you had these ups and downs. You Only the Twice was not better than Thunderball, for instance. Um, so you had these ups and downs in the Albert Brockley era. But the amazing thing about this Barbara Broccoli um, and David Wilson partnership, Michael Wilson partnership, is that every single thing that they have touched, from GoldenEye until now, each film has done better than the one before it by almost every metric that's possible to to measure. And and this one clearly is not just a little bit better, not just, you know, add-on inflation better. This one is demonstrably, objectively better in terms of the money. And whatever you might think about the film, and I'm not a terrible fan of the film, but whatever you might think about it, it is at least very successful. And this news that now we're accelerating the time, and we're only talking about really – what would it be Um, about two years for the next one is great. Um, And I I think it's, I think it's good that they have wisely contracted uh, uh, Craig to be there for two more films, which would make him uh, according to their time schedule about about 48 by the the time that he would finish. And I think that that would be about the right time for him to step down. Um, So it gives them plenty of time to, make a couple of more films with him, finish whatever narrative you're going for there. And and they've got plenty of time to cast ahead and, you know, figure out the the successor. So this is, you know, we've gone from a year and a half ago being like, is this franchise dead to, Oh my God, this franchise is so energized and so much more alive than it was before,
4: which I think is great. Yeah. Yeah. Just from this article I was reading before it said here, um, uh, while Sunny Skyfall's di- distributor had cautiously predicted the film would make half a million, this is in pounds, half a billion, sorry, uh, it now seems almost certain that it will be the first Bond franchise, as you said, to break through the $1 billion mark. Yeah. So, that's a, a consensus, I would think.
5: Has the Rotten Tomatoes fallen in me, George?
6: Unbelievable uh, positive for that, 92%. On Rotten okay, me- Tomatoes, so critically it is going over the roof too, uh, beyond financially.
7: Well, yes, uh, and that would mean, by the way, COVID, that it's gone up a point in the last forty-eight hours or so. Um, but the thing you got to understand about Rotten Tomatoes, I mean, it's you know we love the number because it's simple, it's direct. You know, ninety-three percent two, whatever it is, okay. But you really need to look at. and and this is the best case ever for this, Uh, take a look at Casino Royale's numbers and actually go and read the reviews and look at the degree to which an individual review is positive. And then take a look at this movie and then read their reviews. And I think what you find is this thing of, all right, bottom line positive, but there are a lot of reservations on this movie. Well, the... Tomato Meter doesn't really have the ability to give that you know, kind of gradation. If the, if the, basically, if the last paragraph of the review says this is a good movie in some way, shape, or form, then that means it's a positive review. But Casino Royale, when you read the reviews for Casino Royale, they are glowy. Like it's, by and large, I mean, you find some cranks in there like me, but whatever. You find people who are hedging their bets a little bit. But by and large, the reviews for Casino Royale were really positive, truly point by point positive, whereas on Skyfall, the bottom line is positive, but there are a number of um, objections which run through several different reviews. So you can see, you know, this one area is, you know, consensus viewed as a flaw, but by and large, the film is viewed as good. So it's kind of a different thing and you know as i have said elsewhere this is just my opinion but there is no way in hell that this film is only three percent worse than casino royale there's just no way that's possible and that of course is not something that the tomato meter will tell you
4: okay anybody else want to add a comment in on on the bond and before we eventually get to our topic all good stuff, though. All good stuff. Have
6: you All seen it? Have w- you seen it yet, Dave?
4: I saw it. Yeah, I saw it, uh, and I was in this very proud, very proud uh, state of watching it the same pe- weekend as the people in America were watching it because I'd waited three weeks to go and see it. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I do agree that the pacing on the the final, um, you know, scenario, you know, com- is it, it, slightly disjointed. The way. That we had the the Venice scene in being slightly tagged on, I thought to yeah. the first one, but I, but I I thought it was as good as looking forward to uh, as Casino Royale. Quantum of Solace was I was a little bit disappointed with, but again, the the thing is the expectations for Casino Royale might not have been as high. People were had seen the Bond movies and were perhaps were wondering if Bond could still cut it, and it did. And so I suppose when Quantum of Solace came out, they were expecting even better. And to my eyes, it was a slight drop. Um, And this one, you really had to watch
5: Casino and Quantum together to make it into a good movie.
1: Well, what I remember um, sort of popular criticism of of Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace was that. People that I knew, you know, just average person I would talk to, said it didn't feel like James Bond, and I think part of the popularity of Skyfall is that they're trying to make it feel more like the old James Bond. So I think for the average sort of viewer, you know, maybe they uh, they like it a bit better.
4: The I, negatives. I, I, don't, on, I don't know. The negatives
6: on um, on Quantum were this is more Born than Bond. Yeah. Right. But
4: but I would say it's still the same thing, Paddy, because with the first one, you know, he only got his OO status right at the end of that, and then yeah. in this particular film, we only get the classic theme at the end of this. If that's yeah. not spoilish. But definitely, yeah. I, 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 but I felt it was like uh, I right said a reboot. Yeah, yeah. I think I think they have to stop doing naval watching though for the next the yeah. next bond has to be you know an external threat or whatever not not you know yeah a okay. little bit like the circus and house of cards and well that's the whole thing
7: yeah i mean that would be my criticism of this film in you know viewed separately from other films is that it's not about a threat to britain it's not a threat The world. It's not a threat to it. It's a threat to one character. And that makes it, um, you know, a much smaller movie. Albeit a movie that is acted incredibly well, a a movie that's directed well, you know, has a lot of great things going for it. But it is a relatively small scale threat. Um, And that takes away the jeopardy, you know. But I think I am still of the opinion that the whole point of the Craig era is eventually going to be that if you view movies one through five together, it will be a complete narrative of some kind and that this third film might well be sort of the empire strikes back of of the Craig era. Um, You know, the smaller film, the more personal film, the one that lets you know the stakes of what's going on. And then, you know, we're set now for, has almost certainly, as you say, Dave, got to be just a grand adventure for the next one. It's got to be. It has to be pretty much the complete opposite. We're going to
6: get the Indiana complete. Jones film
7: for the next one. I, well, I mean, I think I think what you're going to get is you're going to get, you know, the classic Bond film. I think you're going to get more or less, you know, From Russia With Love or Goldfinger, yeah. that sort of broad, maybe even... You only live twice in a way, you know, some sorry, some big film that takes place in a lot of different areas um, and that spends very little time whatsoever in England or in America but instead goes, you know, full romance, on.
6: Romance and locale and
7: well, adventure. The next one has to have romance because this one certainly...
6: I've no, um, Even out well, of the spoilers, please.
7: Well, okay. Four-week-old movie, whatever. Um, but, you know, it, the next one must have a greater... Quantity of romance than this one. Um, it just has
4: to. Yeah, for me, it'll be successful as long as they don't film it underwater. I could never make any sense of those underwater scenes. Never no knew who was shooting it or anything. <laughs> okay, uh, well, um I think, Ian, it might be time to hear from Andy before we start our main topic.
2: Sounds like a plan, Stan. Here's Andy, to tell you how you can become involved in the Golden Collective.
0: If you enjoy listening, why not join the Collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a zip client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134 dot one nine two or you can connect him directly via the shoe phone find if you have talk live installed looking forward to hearing you
2: there you go simple as that all right dave take it away yes
4: and if you don't mind we'll talk about the mind we'll talk about from the mind of george lucas yes in our series of uh, Colton, uh we've uh, done many things with uh, commentaries we've done uh, uh, commentaries and we've done our series from the mind of and today it's from the mind of George Lucas and um, that is uh, the l li- I'll put two links in the room from the the wiki page just a, a little bit of basic thing we're talking about somebody who's older than me so there's a big cheer from the room born 14th of May 1944 uh, George Walton Lucas Jr and of course the founder of the uh, lucas films and uh, we also have uh, a uh, list of his films and uh, one thing that's absolutely great about the second wiki page i put in the george lucas filmography uh, it actually shows the credits when he was credited either director writer executive producer or actor or indeed any any combination of those i'm going to start with the two clips and then we'll, we may well go to Kobo, I think it's got a bit of time pressure. Um, we're going to go back to the film that he actually started uh, well, I think it was actually one of his actual projects in college, and that was TX 1138 I'm not sure we pronounced that right Here's the original trailer
3: All Earth Council in its infinite wisdom has decided these two numbers are to be disposed of The Biochemical Forum has demands to make on their parts, however, before they are eliminated. That's the kind of efficiency that makes you proud to live in this era. Happy and effective. Consultation with leading experts in the field makes it perfectly clear, perfectly clear that we are all now programmed for perfect happiness, perfect happiness, perfect happiness, perfect happiness.
0: 1138, retract. alright?
3: What did they do to you? There are, of course, occasional technical or electronic errors in programming and/or surveillance which produce perverse exceptions. I'm
8: going to have a job.
3: First they start skipping prescribed drug dosages, then they begin touching, then indulging in various sexual acts, and the ultimate perversion. Love. For such extreme psychobiological misfunction, only isolation will do. <laughs> I'm going to
4: stop it there. It's a little long, but ooh, uh, Mrs. Um, yeah. Um, so, um, Bilbo, what have you got any uh, thoughts on the, uh, the mind of George Lucas? What is it about his films and uh, the works that he's produced over his timeline? And Of course, one of the reasons why we are discussing this now is he's just basically said that he's going into retirement from big film production and, of course, he's signed over his... Uh, is company starts to Disney so that's the background from us talking today
5: to me George Lucas is the mind not only behind Star Wars but he's done the Indiana Jones films and not the crap ones I'm talking the original films the Crystal Skulls should not have been made, I am sorry, but that is a plight on Steven Spielberg's record and George Lucas' record. Um but for me, that's where my love affair with Sci fi started was watching the Bond film, I mean the Star Wars films while sitting in my father's lap. So, Star Wars has been a part of my life from the very, very beginning, and Lucas was a genius for that, and he incorporated so many radical ideas into those films. I don't know if you uh, know of the connection between the Star Wars films and the writings of uh... Joseph Campbell but George Lucas has admitted without the writings of Joseph Campbell Star Wars would not exist in the form that it the original trilogy would not exist in the form that it does Um, because it's a modern retelling of like a Greek tragedy really which I think is absolutely absolutely brilliant and for anybody who hasn't watched um Mythos 1 Mythos 1 and 2 with Joseph Campbell you'll be amazed at the parallels between that and Star Wars um I obviously won't go into it here um i trying to think if there's anything else I really need to say. I mean... You can see Star Wars references almost any way you look. Like, if you find the Walking Dead series by Telltale, there's obviously Star Wars references there. I don't think any other franchise has entered the collective consciousness of America certainly than Star Wars that's really all I've all I've got
4: okay Um, I thought I was muted then okay uh, thank you Kobo what I'm going to do is I'll play the actual um, trailer for the director's cut which uh, is a recent uh, version of THX and then we'll go to Perry if we may
0: What's wrong? What's wrong? What's
3: wrong? Are you now? Or have you no? What's wrong?
0: One one three
3: eight prefix THX. Okay.
0: happy. I wanted to touch you so many times. My mate has been acting very strange. What's wrong? <clears throat>
8: Never,
0: Never mind.
4: And I stopped that there. Uh, I did watch the two trailers and it it, it does look a little bit well, a lot more slick with the with the things that they picked out for for that director's cut. Co- I don't know how different the two films are. Maybe somebody here is a uh, an expert on those two uh, versions may want to comment. But uh, the, the, as you speak, of course, you're not excluded to I those.
8: I think it will drop
4: out. Okay, Kobo, You did say you okay, had job. a little pressure of time today. Okay, Kobo, Thanks for joining us. Bye. Yeah, Kobo. See you guys bye. So, so, Perry, uh, you can talk obviously about any aspect of uh, the work, his work that you're aware of. Okay. So, uh, I'm just I'm just playing the clips in time yeah. order, as it were.
1: No. Um. Well, of course, like Kobo, I was pretty, and maybe not as young as Kobo was when Star Wars came out. I was about six years old, and one of my first memories is going to the movies, playing Space Invaders, and and going to see. Star Wars, sure. I, I remember that, and it certainly has become uh, ubiquitous. Well, not ubiquitous, but it, it certainly has infiltrated modern culture. But I disagree that there that there is no other franchise that has done the same. Certainly, "Beam Me Up, Scotty." Everybody knows what that means, and "Long and Prosper," things like that. So, so as uh, as they predicted in Futurama, we have the Star Wars, Star Trek wars going on. Um, Anyhow, but but so I would say that Star Trek certainly has permeated culture as well. Um, but what I have noticed, oh, and I love THX 1138. I think that's a, that, I thought that was a great film. I think the director's cut is a little more. Um, uh, technically, you know, is is a little more slick, of course, and slick. It's slicker, thank you. Yeah but i think that's a you know it's a fairly simplistic idea but it's a really nice nice film and some interesting um shots there and and the way they did the, the scenery everything sort of just fading out to white and um in the background but i enjoyed that film a lot it's a lot like a maybe a doctor who episode or something um certainly in the way that it was shot um but the thing about Star Wars, and now I have children and a son who's really into Star Wars. He's 13 now. and But the thing I always try to impress upon him was these original Star Wars films, but certainly the original film was done before we had a lot of CGI, computer-generated imagery. And these were all done with models, and I try to impress this upon him, the way that they were shot and the way these models were made. And things like that, because the prequel Star Wars films that came out, of course, were all CGI and and animation and things like that, and so they just they have a totally different feel to them, is is what I mean. These uh, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and and Jedi all had, you know, they have a very different feel to me than the prequels, and it's that 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 feel to them, you know, the way that they were shot and the way that these effects were made. that I think are the really the, the the real, you know, primary um thing that George Lucas and his his team out there uh, contributed to movie making and and certainly you know just the feel of those movies, the sounds, the music, uh all of that was just somehow and it's probably because I was young and grew up with it, but it all just seems sort of magical at this point. But and they lost the magic really, uh, as far as I'm concerned <laughs> over the last 10 years or so. Um with or 15 years, or whatever since the prequel started coming out. Um and yeah, as far as George Lucas's other work is concerned, I know he was involved with Indiana Jones. I don't know the extent to which he was involved. Um I hear more about Steven Spielberg when I hear about Indiana Jones. Um and the things that Lucasfilm has done since. You no, know, most of them have been have been very good and But I oh American Graffiti of course, um should comment on. American Graffiti was a also a well, great movie.
4: Well that's my next clip. Should I play it and then you can talk about it.
1: Um it's been a long time since I've seen that American Graffiti but it, it it is a really good movie i couldn't tell you much about the details at the moment so i i don't think i have a lot more to say besides the fact that i i remember is a, just a good movie and he has contributed more than just star wars um in terms of what he's done you know in writing and directing but not a hell of a lot more i guess
4: that, that's okay. mostly well, let, what I have to say really. So. Well well let me play the clip from American Graffiti and come back yeah. if you want before we go to Ken. Okay? Okay.
0: American Graffiti! Where were you in 62? special one and jump into your candy-colored custom or your screaming machine, cruise downtown and catch American Graffiti. American Graffiti. Baby, what's that? It's a movie. And you dig it? Go back in time. Where were you in 62?
5: Is that you in that beautiful car? Gee, what a waste of machinery.
0: One, two,
7: three o'clock, four o'clock, rock.
0: Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, 10, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, rock, we're going to rock, around Ten o'clock tonight. What, what did you say? Someone wants me. Someone roaming the streets wants me. And I bet you're sorry enough to
5: get us some brew. A ballpoint pen,
7: a pint of old Harper. Say so you got an ID for the liquor?
3: No, I left the car.
7: You'll have to get it before. Oh,
3: well, I, I also, I forgot the car.
0: We're well, finally getting out of this turkey camp You just can't stay 17 forever If you ever get tired of going to
5: city With somebody ain't around I'm up for friends
0: Well, that'll be the day If I had a boyfriend, he'd pound you What's wrong? Go to hell Oh, American defeated. Oh, go, go,
8: Johnny go! Oh, go, go, Johnny go!
0: Oh, go, go, go! American defeated. Where were you in
4: '62? Do you want to come back, Perry? Um, no, not really. Okay, lovely, great music there. Um. So, Ken, let's uh, go to you, and we'll go to Dallas after Ken, if we may.
6: Okay, let's rock and roll it. Um, George Lucas is so important to film in my life, and changing the whole perception of films in America and the world. Um, I first discovered George Lucas when I saw THX in the theater, uh, when it came out. And I loved it. Um, dystopia, his use of sound had never been used before. It was like watching, to me it was like watching a uh, foreign film. His use of sound, color, um, editing was brilliant. was brilliant in that. Um, Robert Duvall, Donald Pleasance, Don Pedro Colley, um My only problems with the film, it's a thinly veiled Adam and Eve story which ends up at the end with with no Eve. And I found that so disturbing because he does escape this terrible, wretched, horrible world at the end. And it's this wonderful, beautiful uh, sunrise But what's he going to find if he's by himself? Hopefully he will find someone. But it's him breaking convention, understanding love, and he borrows from Huxley and Orwell and a a lot of the great writers about uh, terrible futures. And uh, it's, it's an amazing film. So when I heard... In 1977, and saw in Variety, and I was 22 years old, and some film called Star Wars was coming out. Oh, it's by that same, same guy who did THX. So I was looking forward to it, saw little ads. Then I was at TimeCon, which happened, I think it was um, in August of the previous year where they had the first trailers, that in San Diego Comic-Con, the first initial trailer for Star Wars. And I'm sitting there, jaw-dropping to the ground, so excited. I bought the paperback that came out before the movie came out, didn't read it, didn't read it. And I was lucky to go the very first day. Went to the Avco Cinema in Los Angeles, in Westwood, the 11 o'clock performance, and I stayed for another half performance. I couldn't believe what I saw. Um, it's like imagining the most fun, most fun popcorn movie you could ever have in your life, and it goes beyond your expectations. Now, I, in the cur- recent years, he's done. Director's Cuts, he's calling them. He called them special editions at one time. He did it with THX. He's done it with Star Wars. I really am so against all of this. I want the movies to be as they were filmed. These aren't director's cuts. He didn't intend those scenes to be in when he made them. So what he directed and he wrote, and what John Dykstra did in special effects and Richard Edlund, and Ben Burt, that should be preserved. That should be what we'd see. Clean it up, sure. Put in, um, any edited scenes that were done at the same time. But if you change scenes in the Death Star Trench, if you modify audio, if you change intent and you, you take out a character and put someone in, like Hayden Christensen, uh, you know, for a part, when uh, it was another actor to begin with. I'm I'm so uh, dead set against that. But they had representatives from Fox in the theater that day who were going crazy. And it was a beautiful time when the movie was just called Star Wars. Not A New Hope, just Star Wars. And there were a few people who knew what this was, and we were going crazy, and it was going like wildfire. I remember, unfortunately, and I admire the man so much, Harlan Ellison hated the movie. He hated the movie so, so much. I, I remember kind of laughing at his review. He thought it was a soulless film, etc. I, I don't know what he felt like about Empire later on, but but he felt that. Um What it did for cinema is, beyond the technologies, the Dykstra Flex camera, everything that was created with ILM, the sound technologies, um, it changed the conception of science fiction as a B film to the A film. Him with Steven Spielberg um, created this phenomenon. It used to be, oh, it's one of those horror sci-fi movies and it would be a saturday afternoon double bill etc and there were a few breakout films in the 50s it was forbidden planet then in 1968 it was 2001 but they were few and far between the big film that won the oscar and it was a big deal before 2001 i mean before excuse me star wars and close encounters came out was Logan's Run. Now, like Logan's Run, as much as you will, but it's like a whole different universe between those films. And there's an indebtedness, a sense of fun, and a sense of wonder. And it kept getting better. If Star Wars was almost documentary in style and kind of cold in the filmmaking with, with wonderful sounds and the pristine look, Empire had a warmth to it he, he brought in other writers he brought in Irving Kirshner who added his own Buddhist philosophy uh, to the mix the, the sequence with the walkers every scene with Yoda I had tears in my eyes I couldn't believe that a, pop, a puppet construct could be so real. And there was a whole sense of wonder to that film. That he continued for the most part with Jedi. Yes, I like Ewoks. I like them. I don't love them. Boy, if it had been Wookiees like he originally wanted in that film, that would have been even more joyous if it would have been a Wookiee planet. But Wookiees are too intelligent and it was the Vietnam parallel that Lucas was going after. Now, there's been much said over the years. You know, people groan is, you know, Princess Leia is my sister, and I'm smooching with her. Oh, I knew it all along or something. And, you know, um, like this was a grand master plan of George Lucas. uh I really think from everything I've read, he might have had drafts of different characters, etc., but he was winging it as he went along. And I, th- I think it's corporate policy to have done that. But, you know, um, he's done so much in production over the years, too. His input, writing and producing uh, the Raiders movies, um, a really great great film that Francis Coppola did with Jeff Bridges Tucker the man in his dream if no one's seen it i recommend it so much it's best picture caliber bridges' performance is so good and it's 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 one of coppola's best you know if, if you're going besides the godfather and apocalypse now it it, it it's a brilliant film now my love for George Lucas is a little sad at what's happened in recent years. They say you can't go home again. And well, we did with the prequel films, I was there and the films meant so much to me and a personal reason, a very personal reason for a while. And I would sit there with the pom-poms out cheering and there's Jar Jar Binks. And I'm trying to like him. I'm I'm making excuses, but they said that he did the original Star Wars movies for himself and he did the prequels for his kids. Well, it showed it. If, If I had watched the prequel films originally, they wouldn't have changed my life. They wouldn't have been so ingrained in my life. And I would not have loved them. I would have appreciated the effects. I would have enjoyed the sweep of it all. But it wouldn't have been the same. I, I blame the casting of young Anakin for that. I, I blame the sense of taking something as wonderful as the Force and trivializing it with the midichlorians' BS. I mean, please. You, you, you took something that got me choked up when Obi-Wan talked about it first in Star, Star Wars, A New Hope, and then you make it into some measuring device and it's something cold and sterile. The films didn't get all that better with the second one, uh, Attack of the Clones, except for just a wonderful, wonderful sword fight between Yoda and Christopher Lee. I mean, we have Yoda versus Dracula. It, it doesn't get better uh, than that. That, that, was, that was so wonderful. It improved with Revenge of the Sith. Um, Hayden Christensen is a very good actor. I've seen him in some other things. He did the best he could. It was, I would say, a, a very good film. A very good film did the best, but the Clone Wars animated series to me is so much better. There's more depth of character. There's no silliness. They use Jar Jar Binks, the comic foil in more of a subtle Buster Keaton. They they play on the character in Clone Wars. Dave Filoni has, has taken what George did with those films and topped them and there's such an improvement, which is my hope to what Disney is now going to do, taking into the future, doing sequel films, going into the universe, getting someone the way that was done with Wrath of Khan. You got someone involved in the uh, writing and directing who wasn't so invested in Star Trek, and you have the best, arguably the best Star Trek ever. Star Trek The Wrath of Khan and if they can do that now at Disney we can have generations that are just going to get just wonderful Star Wars properties and feel some of that thrill that we all felt with the original trilogy because we owe him a real debt Star Trek has become part of the American uh, icon it's uh, Kirk Spock and bones are our, our robin hoods our zoros they're they're part of our lives now everybody knows about that also star wars has become so iconic and you don't want those things to leave it's amusing that those who emulated disney in creativity stan lee jim henson and george lucas are now in the umbrella of Disney, and with the kind of worries that they're taking on too much, forgetting that if this synergy works, it's going to be wonderful because it is the perfect place uh, for it to go. And under the stipulations, you know that George has put down, and that he is a shareholder. You know, I'm hope- I am hoping for the best. And we all have to thank Flash Gordon for our love of Star Wars and George Lucas's inability to make his Flash Gordon film, because that's how it all started. He didn't want to make Star Wars. He wanted to do Flash Gordon, and he couldn't get the rights. And that failed him. Instead, he did a little film called Star Wars with so many people turned down until he got green-lighted. And oh, so much of the love I have for science fiction, or let me, more accurate, space fantasy, because there's not really much pure science fiction in Star Wars. But oh, do I love that universe. And don't we all really want a a lightsaber and to be Jedi Knights? It's something that makes our heart just kind of flutter a little faster. And that's what I really love about the mind of George Lucas.
4: Right, Uh, just reading from the wiki page before I play the next clip, it says, um, uh, as you say, encountered difficulties getting Star Wars made. Uh, It was only because, according to wiki, Alan Alan Ladd Jr. at Fox Studios liked American graffiti that he forced through a production and distribution deal for the film, which ended up restoring Fox to financial stability after a number of flops. Right, well, let's uh, play a little... uh, ...trailer from the first Star Wars A New Hope... ...and then we'll go to Darth, hopefully... I think that clip's got mashed up. That uh, sounds very much to me like the Clone Wars movie clip. Um, I don't know what's happened there, Ian. Definitely. I don't
2: um, know. It's your clip.
4: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely a happened there. That, that was the clip from the uh, the the movie of the Clone Wars, the animated one. I don't know how that's happened, guys. I've... Uh, I've, I've, there's one mistake, yep, and uh, I can't find it, uh, I, I must have written, sorry about that guys, uh, I must have overwritten one with another, that's all I can say, so let me, uh, let me jump forward and play a clip from um, the third Star Wars film.
0: A thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic, before the dark times, before the Empire. A young Jedi named Darth Vader, who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil, helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force.
4: Okay, uh, Jeff's just dropping off for a bit. Okay, Jeff, we'll we'll just have to try and keep Darth talking until you get back. Uh, Darth, sorry about that clip. I don't know what's happened. I must have overwritten it with another thing, so I do apologize.
7: That's fine with me. They're your clips. You must do with them, as you will. You know, uh, I think that most people don't really understand... George Lucas all that well because they get lost in this, this notion of, well, he's at the center of Star Wars and that he's, you know, maybe at the center of Indiana Jones. Um, and, and that's where they kind of stop with him. And I think that we get sidetracked into these discussions of, you know, does George Lucas have the right to change the movies that he's made before and and all of that. and And they don't really stop to consider... What a revolutionary George Lucas really is. I <laughs> think, too, a lot of people will say, well, he's not that great of a director. He's only done, you know, four or five films, uh, and maybe the ones that he's done haven't been that good. And um, that's sort of
4: where they stop.
7: Uh, and I'm going to have to stop myself. Anyway, so okay. Sorry, but somebody else needs okay. to go
4: through. All right. Okay, um, well, we've just... uh, So, Ian, are you okay to go at this moment? uh, Let me give you a little bit of time by playing a clip that Ian will absolutely love. In fact, I was going to save it for Ian anyway, so here's one of Ian's favourite films.
0: Across the sea of stars lies another world, a world almost exactly like ours. This is where he lives. He's 27 years old, single but searching... Favorite sports, windsurfing and Aikido. Favorite pastimes, cigars and sex. He has everything except fulfillment. And then one night, it happens. Hey, good buddy, are you home? He has a very sudden midlife crisis. He lands in Cleveland. You do know why you were sent to me? Listen to me, small visitor. I can explain how you got here. You hear some greater purpose, some cosmic God. Here, he's forced to reassess his career goals. You went to med school? To explore new relationships. Yeah! <laughs> to redefine his self-image. I'm sorry, we don't allow pets on the premises. To adjust to a changing lifestyle. Oh, I pull it out! Until he discovers just who he really is. Oh, no. A duck in big trouble.
5: That's
0: a duck, man. Howard the Duck. Trapped in a world he never made. And yes Coming from George Lucas, a Willard Hike film, a Gloria Katz production.
4: And there's my second mistake. Talking <laughs> over there. Yes, Perry G, you're right, you've identified Howard the Duck before it was actually said. Ian, that must be your cue.
2: Yes, it must be. Um, I love Howard the Duck. <laughs> I don't care who knows it. I really, really do enjoy it. Um, George Lucas. I mean, I, I'm probably listed as uh, under those people who you know don't really know enough about him, because um, I mean, I've seen some of his movies. I haven't seen any of his earlier stuff, um, but I mean, I remember just seeing Star Wars for the first time in a school hall. To be honest, and actually, yeah, yeah, school hall. Um, I think it was a, like a camp or something during the. During the uh, summer holidays or something, and, uh, I think my, my earliest memories of of, of seeing a film, um, and I, I, I've got a lot of admiration for the the things he's you know he's done. It's, it's, it's kind of like Elvis in a way. Uh, yeah, there were there were people doing stuff before him, you know, uh, but he's the kind of person who kind of cleared the road and 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 made inroads into things that you know. I mean, when you look at uh, visual effects itself, it's just astounding, you know, how the uh, the film industry changed because of that. But back to Howard the Duck. I don't know why it's it such a bad rap. I, I mean, it's listed as one of the worst movies ever of all time, but I still have a a great amount of affection for it and it's not just because it's got Leah Thompson in her panties on a bed um that's just beside the point i just really <laughs> like it it's quirky and fun and it's just ridiculous and i i love it um you know uh what, what more can i say um star wars of course yeah, i think you're hard pressed to find anyone who who absolutely outright hates you know star wars totally outright um and as far as Lucas fiddling with it,
8: um,
2: I understand people. You know, I mean, and I myself, it's it's you know, it's the movie you saw first that you want to kind of keep hold of. And if anybody plays with it, that's that's you know heresy. How dare you? But at the end of the day, it's his. Um, it's his piece of art. It's his novel. It's his. Uh, his Composition, and if he decides to change a note or a word or or a brushstroke, then that's entirely up to him. Um, and, and the other argument you know, I've heard that people are like, well, just let us have the first ones. Like yeah, that's, that's a good and valid point too. You know, uh, you know, have the original films you know preserved and kept and and allowed to be watched and everything. Don't make them disappear. Uh, but you know, uh, he's got every right. Really, I mean, the 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 prequel trilogy. Um, I remember seeing the first one and being really really excited because it's like I actually get to see, you know, a Star Wars movie in the theater, um, in the way that, that, that the people did when the first one came out. You know, people lining up to see this movie. Uh, but at the time, the the second and the third movies came out, especially being over in New Zealand, you know, there wasn't that, you know, perfect people clamoring for it in the same way that they were in, in, in America. Um, but so it was great to be kind of caught up in the hype and everything. Uh, as kids, I remember those, those were the toys to have and uh, the bubblegum cards to collect. Um, so, and I mean, when, when you think about it, the man, the man kind of did some amazing things as far as merchandising goes. I mean, that that kind of stuff had never been kind of pulled before. Uh, but, I mean, aside from that, I mean, I have a hard time kind of talking too much about Lucas. I guess really because I don't know enough.
1: Um, brought up the merchandise. You know,
2: I know Star Wars, I know Howard the Duck, and I know uh, Indiana Jones. and I've seen American Graffiti. Um, but, yeah, it's I think I'm I'm well versed in, and so I, I always feel difficult going before Doris.
8: Can I say something about that? No,
2: you may not, because it's I probably going to be know. something bad about Howard. My <laughs> he,
1: there's my microphone. There it, it is. He, yes, yeah, sorry, I had the mic uh, away from my face. But no, I, I I seem to recall a story that um that the way that George Lucas got the Star Wars films, you know, the way he got the the deal for them was that he said that he wouldn't take any um what is it I don't even know what they call it residuals. Um, residuals yeah for the for the movie but that he would get all the money from the merchandise from the merchandising yeah. and that's the way he got um yeah I don't even know the name of the company that produced it, but um, the, the, that's the way he got it produced, and then then he, you know, that's what made him rich. Essentially, that's why we had all the action figures. It was with
4: Fox his contract, <laughs> yeah.
1: Fox, it, it, yeah. It,
4: it, it says here on the wiki page, and um, uh, after American Graffiti had been such a success, he had a chance to um, improve on his uh, a fee of hundred and fifty thousand dollars declined to do so, instead uh, negotiating the uh, unspecified part of his contract with um, ownership and licensing of merchandising for toys, t-shirts, etc. Um, now, the studios were apparently concerned to let go of these rights, as at the time licensed products and merchandising did not really represent a significant market that does now. Uh, that negotiation has earned Lucasfilm's hundreds of millions of dollars over the years, as Lucas exploited merchandising rights wisely and now directly profits from all licensed games, toys, and collectibles created for the franchise. Yeah, but yeah that's, that's not a word
8: yeah. thank you
1: Barry. <laughs> I think you were wrapping up talking about Howard the Doe. Yeah, pretty much. I do I mean, really know about Howard, Well, I mean, yeah. The, I also like
2: I'm a typical, like, just, you know, mass media consumer where, you know, that's the things I know, and uh, analysis is not my strong point. Um, I'm I'm more of get some popcorn, let's watch this thing. Um, In other words, not very high on (laughs) (laughs) intelligence.
4: Cutting yourself down. What you mean is if you don't fall asleep, it must be good.
2: Exactly, exactly. You know, it's like I just just saw the the brand-new Spider-Man film, and, oh, well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's... enough about that later uh but yeah i mean i've been, i've enjoyed everything that's come out um and i'm not a you know one of those fans that's like oh how dare he or oh you know he every everything he does is 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 gold um i've enjoyed his movies um and you know it, it, you can't really ignore um some of the things that he did in in the industry that they you know see i mean i think that was one thing where they uh, showed you how they did the, um, the land speeder. Oh, that was fantastic. They put, like, Vaseline on the lens. Like, <laughs> that's phenomenal. I mean, and now he's got, you know, this, basically this whole empire that, that people go to for visual effects. It's like, you
1: know...
2: Um, the other thing I remember is uh, one of the documentaries where they're, they're showing them zooming past the, this model in a parking lot... In uh, a jeep with a camera <laughs> mounted on it to do mm-hmm. the flyover bits of, of of the the Death Star, and I was like, "That's just fantastic movie making right there!" Because it's like, "Oh well, we, we can't get a sound studio to, to and a camera to mount on here and and, and do all this fancy stuff." You know, so uh, we'll just leave that scene out. No, hey, <laughs> grab a camera. <laughs> hey, you still got your jeep, you know? Um, that's great. Um, but I mean, part of me can't help think, though, that uh, maybe that's something that's missing from the other movies in a way is that um, the original movies was a man kind of uh, putting together a movie by the seat of his pants and you know, he had so much trouble getting this thing, you know, into realization. And, and to come out with you know more movies now is so much easier for him. He's got you know all the money he could probably wish for to to do it, and uh, and I'm sure it's not difficult for him to say to any studio, "Hey, I've got a new Star Wars movie. Um, do you want it?" Yeah. Just one of those things where you know if if, if it comes too easy, is it still as good? Um, is is the is the original Star Wars movie the best
0: because
2: he was so passionate at the time and had to work so hard to get this thing on the film. You know, and now it's a lot easier. Is it? Is it, uh, is it some of the magic that's missing? Anyway, that's that's me for now, anyway. Hopefully Darth yep. is not free to cut down everything I just said.
4: <laughs> uh, well, I've got another clip, but uh, I just have to just, you know, if it doesn't pay any into you much, uh, it, it does say that Howard the Duck was his biggest flop, that's, um, love, no, 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 a much-loved film, apparently. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. It's one of those things. It's like uh, it's. it's good, I think it's probably got a cult following, albeit a small one. <laughs> but yes, um, it's it's listed uh, as being one of the the worst movies ever. So, but again, you know that's that's never that's never stopped me before. All
4: right. <laughs> well, let's go to another clip now. Um, tied up with George Lucas of course is Steven Spielberg and maybe we'll do from the mind of Steven Spielberg you know down the road after a a suitable gap but um, uh, some of the films were in collaboration with him so the next clip is is one which was done in collaboration with him and that's Raiders of the Lost Ark
0: nearly 3,000 years, man has searched for the lost Ark of the Covenant. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. Are something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. Jones, do you realize what the Ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. An army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. The Ark. It is their attorney. Then it is something that man was not meant to disturb. It is protected by forces beyond imagination. It is desired above all treasures on earth by those who are good, trust me, and those who are evil. I know everything. Yes, sir. I know
3: you. Raiders of the Lost Ark.
7: Let go. We have no time. We still want the Ark. It has
0: been loaded onto a truck for Cairo.
3: Raiders of the Lost Ark. A film from Steven Spielberg and George Lucas.
4: Um, I mean that's one thing that uh, you, you've got to take into account that these two great directors must have fired off each other They basically the, the between them they account for uh, I don't know how many of the top grossing films maybe superseded in recent times with some of the you know the uh, uh, Avengers movies and uh, Batman movies or whatever but certainly at their time in the 80s and 90s they were really not going head to head because of the com- collaborations but uh, it's very difficult sometimes to separate uh, their inputs uh, I mean on that particular one the Raiders of the Lost Art, uh, 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 George Lucas is credited with the, uh, the writing and executive producer but not the directing so um, I just want to just check um, we haven't got Jeff back in the room uh, I'm not sure whether Darth is uh, back and available or with us I'll just give him a moment if he wants to respond on audio Oh, sorry. Audio, okay. Audio, it is. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I don't know whether, whether you've been able to follow what's going no, on in your absence. Not anything from you guys. We are hearing you.
7: Hmm. Well, it's good that you can hear me, but I have lost all sound on
4: your end. That's maybe because he muted us, so um, uh, uh, let me just put... You
2: could just tell him in the text chat to just go on.
7: (laughs) We just can't respond. Well, I have no real clue here whether I'm talking over anybody. If I am, uh, let me know if I'm talking over you. I don't know why I can't hear anything. It's very bizarre that it just ended right there. Um, hmm. I I can uh, anyway, hold on. Uh, Talk to say something and I'll, I'll, I'll be right back. Let me see if I can fix this.
4: Okay, well let me right. play a trailer to the Willow. From the
0: creator of Star Wars. From the director of Cocoon. A world is awakening. Why, with the strength of my great army, can you not find one little child? A dangerous world. That's why we need your help. Your journey has just begun. Willow. Lord. Heroes come in all sizes. Adventure doesn't come any bigger than this. I'm the child, the child. We are not afraid of you. After them! Ah, you're gonna get a <laughs> The next great adventure. You are great. Willow. Coming in May.
4: All right, two good pieces of news at once. Uh, Before we go back to Darth, he says he's got his sound back. I just had a tweet from Lewis to say he's talked to Ken's sister, and he's doing well from the heart attack that we mentioned earlier Thing, and he should be out of hospital on Tuesday so that is good news um, the reason why I jumped by the way with my clips from Indiana to Temple of Dune to Willow is because uh, these were ones where he had writing credits and the ones in between uh, uh, Labyrinth and so on uh, he didn't have that so Darth if you're oh, good to go any part of George Lucas's contribution will we are listening, as they say.
3: All right, well,
7: let's try this again. Um, I, I think yeah, before I was interrupted by my other phone call, I got uh, as far as basically saying that uh, people don't necessarily appreciate the sense in which George Lucas is a revolutionary, instead, try to focus on this notion that somehow it is um, unfair for uh, someone who has created a piece of art to continue to manipulate that art until it becomes something that they want it to be. And, you know, people have been focused on far too much, it seems to me, George Lucas as essentially synonymous with Star Wars. Um, When we haven't really been noticing what's been going on underneath the surface, Um, I think you have to kind of go back to the the very beginning here and understand what is so different about George Lucas and why he rose to the, the... position that he now has as being um, essentially the second largest shareholder in Disney. And when you go back to the beginning, the thing that's different about his career is that um, he was a part of the vanguard of new filmmakers that were coming up in Northern California in the 60s who... Basically, studied film as art, and and indeed had formalized training in film. Before that, you know, there weren't really in the, in the 50s, and the 40s, and the 30s, there weren't really schools that you could go to in order to learn how to become a filmmaker. It was very much of a of an apprenticed sort of job. You would you would get a lowly job, uh, maybe working as a gaffer, maybe working as a uh, a runner something like that, and you would gradually work your way up until you became a director because of a body of experience that you had in film. And so becoming a director was, in in some ways, a technical job. I not to say there wasn't great creativity among earlier directors like Ford um, or even like Chaplin. Um, but still, it was something that you learn as a as a trade, as it were. Um, What George Lucas and Coppola, well, to a lesser extent Coppola, but certainly George Lucas and Spielberg were about, were, you know, you went to school to learn about film primarily as an art form. And then you learned what technical skills that you needed to learn in order to achieve that art, but you were always focused on the artistic side of it. So it was for, I think, George Lucas and, and people of his... Generation, um, film as a creative thing, as, as almost purely a creative thing, where the technical details were important only in so much as they served the in creative vision. And, you know, the, the glory that is THX 1138 is the extent to which it is completely different. Than just about anything else that was going on in 1969, and we'll call it 69 because, um, you know, that that's more or less when it was his uh, the first form of that film, the the, um, the student film form, and it, it, it is a it is a film which, if you compare it to other films that were out in you know the sort of 69-71 period, very 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 different. Um, visually, in the sense that the story was being told as, and this is just something that, uh, a term that, I, I don't know if he invented, but it certainly is a term that you hear George Lucas say up into the present day. It's, it's a film that was a tone poem. That is to say, you learned about the narrative from watching what was going on. The narrative was in the art direction. The narrative was in the... the the particular angles that were used. The narrative was in the editing, especially. It wasn't necessarily in the characterization. It wasn't necessarily in the um, plot, per se. It was divining the theme directly from the visuals, which is really different, and and such a different concept that, in a sense, it bankrupted um, American Zootrope, which was... uh, a, a film company that he started with Coppola um, and you know it certainly got American Zoetrope still exists but it doesn't quite exist in the same format that it did originally because really THX-1138 did kill it financially um, but what you get with that first film is this very personal film told in a completely startling visual way um, and those who believe that you know Lucas has no right as the artist to go back and, and to continue meddling with it or whatever, and, and you know going through different iterations of it, this would be the argument against that. The very firm argument against it. There is no doubt in my mind that the 2004 George Lucas remastering—well, it's more than a remastering. Let's call it. Let's use the pejorative that other people have already used on this podcast. The, the retinkering. Um, he's far and away better than the original. I mean that is. It's a beautiful, gorgeous um, transition from what was, you know, a rough around the edges film made in the 70s, where probably there wasn't enough money, and where certainly you know the Warner Brothers came in and we cut the film against Lucas's wishes, translating from that something that is a more sumptuous world uh, a, a more complete world and a, a sequence of events, a, an editorial flow that makes a lot more sense um, so there's no doubt in my mind that's the case that Lucas has for his right to retinker, now I'm not sure that he needs such a case, I think it is absolutely the, the right of the producer of any piece of art because they own it. To say, you know what? I'm going to mess with that. You know, fine, maybe if you make the art and you actually sell it to somebody, maybe at that point you don't have the right to come back and tinker. So maybe now that Star Wars has been sold, you might be able to say that from a legal standpoint, Lucas might not have the ability to go back and change things. Although he still is, you know, a pretty big stakeholder in the company that owns it. So that, that becomes a complicated legal question. But there's no doubt in my mind that you know, up until the point of the sale, he movement could do anything
4: that he wanted to do
7: with Star Wars. And frankly, most of the changes in my mind were helpful, or at least not destructive. Um, so, why not let him do that?
4: Yeah, so just study there. Hmm. I don't think you can wiggle anything. We're getting an awful lot of background noise with your audio coming through now. Ah. And it's just not my day, is it? Uh, that as soon as it, you say that, it's gone. yeah. Um, It was building up. Who knows? Um, But,
7: yeah, I mean, I think that one of the the enduring legacies of George Lucas will be this this discussion about what is the right, what are the artistic rights of a director or of a producer or of somebody who wholly owns artistic content? Do they have the right to make what they think are improvements? And I think as far as I'm concerned, the answer is absolutely yes, and I think that there's enough evidence in what Lucas has done so far that y- you can make a strong case that, yes, there are improvements to be made and that they they possibly should be made. Um, I, I don't particularly see the moral difference between, you know, what Peter Jackson, for instance, has done with Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, he's got... The theatrical version, and then there's the director's cut, which is a very common thing we have in in marketing DVDs today, where you have you know a lengthened version of a theatrical release. I don't see the moral difference between that and George Lucas, you know, occasionally going back and re-editing films in a very minor way. Let's let's point out, um, so as to introduce new technology that is available to him now that wasn't available to him originally, but which he nevertheless probably did imagine could be done so i got no problem with that um but nevertheless that is one of the legacies another legacy um is really the introduction of or, or in the introduction it's the uh, uh combination of american and japanese approaches to cinema um there's no doubt this is something that it arose only because George Lucas went to film school. If he hadn't gone to film school, if he hadn't studied film academically, um, and instead had come up through the old apprentice system, there would have been probably no Akira Kurosawa influence on Star Wars, but more importantly, on film in general. Because it's not just that... He, you know, sort of copied Akira Kurosawa in some ways, but he actually, you know, made it possible for Kurosawa films to be exhibited in the United States. Um, he also made it possible to, to make certain deals which allowed Kurosawa to make some films. Um, and this this notion of opening up that Japanese market is something that I think we're still seeing the the tremors from the residual wavefront is still emanating from Lucas's original fascination with Japanese culture. I, I think it's entirely logical and plausible to say that you know anime, m- manga, the 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 current obsession that America has with things that are Japanese, um, at, at least in terms of their filmed entertainment or or just entertainment in general. I think a lot of that does come from George Lucas opening up that style of storytelling um, to American audiences, you know, because Star Wars, that is to say, A New Hope, was so different when it came out, not because of the special effects, though those were certainly revolutionary, not because of the sound, though that too was revolutionary, but merely because of the structure of the story. Very Japanese structure, very, you know, we know it comes structure wise from Hidden Fortress. This notion of of plonking somebody down into a fully realized world without telling them, your audience, you know, why are things as they are? Why does this character hate this character? Why does this character love that character? Why is this group trying to oppress this other group? You don't know any of that going into Star Wars. And that's a very Japanese way of, of storytelling. Not necessarily say that it had never been done in American literature, maybe. Um, but it had rarely been done, if ever, in uh, American film. And it certainly hadn't been done with a film that received that much popular attention. So you're talking about the masses of America being exposed to a very Japanese style of storytelling. And that's an extraordinary thing. It's also an extraordinary thing that he took the time to... You know, go through all the academic research about the nature of storytelling itself. You know, to pull in the Joseph Campbell myth ideas to to you know make this a, a story that resonated because it had classic elements that you'll find in a lot of other um, ancient myths. Doing that was an extraordinary act as well. And the the thing I, I suppose is, I look at George Lucas as a, as a revolutionary, but I also look at him as an academic, which you really can't say of even people like Spielberg. I mean, Spielberg is a very smart guy, don't get me wrong. Spielberg is a guy who does his research on each film. But there is something in George Lucas about studying film as an academic subject um, that is not necessarily present in even some of his contemporaries, even other people who you know, went to get master's degrees in film. Even people like that don't necessarily have the level of understanding of the history of film, the history of narrative, the history of, um, you know, thematic integration that you would you'll find in Lucas's work. So you know, to say something like uh, Lucas is minor in a way as a director because he's only got Star Wars, uh, and he's only got you know the prequels which weren't that great, and he's only got you know. Whatever, uh, thx, you know, which again, nothing, and American graffiti, and you you think, well, that's not really that much. That's because George Lucas has sort of transcended um, directorial responsibilities into being a much greater ideas person. So, you know, the, the the crazy thing about him is that he is really a storyteller. Period. Flat out storyteller, and he doesn't need to necessarily be a director in order to tell those stories. He can find other ways of doing it. Find people who, you know, are better at actually the job of directing, and you know, use them to tell his stories. Use the production um, designers to tell the story. Use the sound depart- effects department to tell the story. You know, he's a very holistic brain when it comes to making film. The other way in which I think he's revolutionary is that he's kind of the first dude, really, who you could call, you know, the successful hippie director. Um, It is sort of commonplace these days to believe that the media in the United States is left-wing. I mean, that's something, you know, coming from this most recent election, you'll have heard that refrain from time to time. But the thing is, prior to George Lucas, certainly prior to the late 60s, too, you didn't really have that. I mean, to the extent that there were any sort of political themes going through movies prior to, say, 1965 or whatever, they were usually very slight. Uh, you know, one of the biggest examples of a, a truly political film is, is maybe Modern Times by Charlie Chaplin. And, of course, that's not American, because Charlie Chaplin isn't American. Um, maybe I forget where his status was, but, I mean, it's cool he was born in Britain um, and um, ended up in Switzerland. But Modern Times is one of the few overtly political films... Uh, and the great dictator, I suppose, which followed it. But I mean, everybody was anti-Nazi, so that's not really that much of a political statement. Uh, modern Times, though, is controversial because you know it is about the the um, uh, the rights of the worker compared to those of the owner of the factory. You know, I mean, it is directly dealing with labor issues. But when you get Lucas coming around, clearly THX is absolutely filled with all sorts of political metaphor it's directly taking on consumerism it's directly taking on conformity it's directly taking on uh, you know the police state I mean it is full on absolute political statement you know coming from a guy who if you look at him you would think this isn't a guy who's going to do anything particularly bold I mean you look at him at the time But yet, it it is a politically powerful sort of thing that was not really going around at that time. I mean, that's not entirely fair. Yes, there were some other things that were going on in the late 1960s, and you will find examples of that. But still, the point is, George Lucas sort of starts in that way of being a revolutionary, a, you know, somebody, a hippie, who is influenced by what's going on in Vietnam. And then, you know, his next film kind of is also political, but it doesn't look like it necessarily. I mean, there are a few little overt political things in American graffiti, but the big thing about American graffiti is, basically, Lucas is saying, before we got into all this Vietnam crap, America was cool. I mean, that is really what American graffiti is saying. And, you know, it sparks not just you know, a great film, which is well-reviewed and well-noticed and really starts to make his career financially. But let's not forget that American Graffiti is also directly responsible for Happy Days, which, you know, was one of the biggest shows that was on American television in the 1970s. And it's so much, you know, uh, connected to Happy Days that, of course, you're talking about basically same lead actor. You're talking about using, at least for the first two, um, seasons of Happy Days, the same theme song that's in American Graffiti. I mean, really, seriously, Happy Days might as well be called American Graffiti, the television series, because it kind of <laughs> is. I mean, especially the first two seasons, and I've talked somewhere else about how different the first two seasons of Happy Days are from the rest of Happy Days, but certainly what starts out with Happy Days is American Graffiti, the television show. And it, you know, there's this political thing going on of saying, you know where we are right now sucks, but where we used to be just ten years ago was cool. Um, what's great about American Graffiti is the narrative structure is again just like anything having to do with George Lucas, it is really cool. It's innovative. It is not a straightforward linear plot. It basically says let's film something more or less in real time. Let's take one evening. In the lives of these particular people, and let's just cut back and forth, back and forth between all of these people. And there's no—I mean, there are, there, there is a plot, kind of. There is sort of a, a character arc, but basically, it is again this notion of the tone poem, being able to use visual medium in order to establish a uh, a a feeling about people, so that you know who the characters are. Uh, but you can't really say, well, they did much more than just drive down the road. Because that's kind of all they do in American Graffiti. They just go on this big, long drag. And at the end of it, they get out of their trucks and cars and whatever, and they say, well, we have to face real life tomorrow because that's when it starts because we've graduated from high school now. And it, it's, it's, it's such a – it's a cool film that nowadays is sort of forgotten, and nowadays the reverse happens because so many people – have encountered Happy Days first, that they look at American Graffiti and they say, "Well, that's not as entertaining as just your average episode of Happy Days." But if you view it chronologically and you go the right order, you're like, "This is a really cool film." And again, you can see the the hallmarks of George Lucas in it. You can see the you know the political undertone. You can see the um,
3: the notion of cutting
7: between scenes and not exactly knowing everything there is to know about that world, gradually getting to know the world because of the dialogue that is thrown your way. And that, of course, comes to fruition, you know, probably in its greatest form in Star Wars itself, in, you know, Episode and New Hope, that is is probably, I would think, at the end of the day, unless something incredible happens at the end of his life, I think that's probably going to be recognized as his best movie overall. Um, because... You know, it's got this great plot structure. He made the right call on which characters are going to drive the plot the whole way through. Um, he successfully blended, you know, Turisawa elements with American filmmaking. He got together uh, a fairly extraordinary cast um, and made the thing work by using, you know, triple, quadruple um, filming units trying to hit the, these crazy deadlines, threw himself into the hospital because he had so much pressure on him, um, managed essentially to make the thing
3: as a rebel.
7: When everybody else in 20th Century Fox were just like, no, we got to pull the plug on this thing, it's going crazy, we don't understand it. As one ally in Allen Ladd Jr., who, you know, Bites the bullet, goes down fighting with them, and they eventually, you know, succeed at the end. I mean, it's a great behind-the-scenes story of real balls-to-the-wall filmmaking and taking all sorts of risks along the way. And at the end of it, you know, putting it, not getting paid for it directly, but instead taking, you know, what we know is the best deal ever made in uh, American film history, um, getting the ancillary rights on the backside, I guess he did get paid a little bit for the directing, but, but, you know, trading off certain things so that he got the ancillary rights that nobody understood, how good they were, getting the rights to make the sequel, and thereby building an empire where he was able to, you know, go from independent filmmaker, remain independent filmmaker, but become the biggest independent filmmaker that the world has ever seen. So much so that he could eventually parlay that into, you know, essentially buying whatever it is, a quarter of Disney with it. So that he now owns or
3: in large measure controls
7: the studio that, you know, one of the studios that would have said no to him in the beginning. I and mean, it's just such an extraordinary story of how you can do you can do amazing things in Hollywood if you understand that film is an art and an art form – but that in order to do your art, you have to have certain financial realities in place. And if you make the right deals and you, you know the right people and you've got just the right set of circumstances, you can do pretty much whatever you want. And that's not even, you know, we're not even talking necessarily about other films that I think are extraordinary. I mean, Kim mentioned Tucker, which I think is just gorgeous. I mean, I th- if you were to say to me, what one George Lucas film would I want to keep? If I was on a desert island, it really wouldn't be Star Wars because I would be hungry for more after that. Tucker is an completely satisfying film that is thoroughly American, absolutely powerfully American, and it just it it's great performance. Jeff Bridges. That's probably where I encountered Jeff Bridges for the first time, or where I really noticed his performance, or whatever. Uh, and you know. I, I think, you know, it's a Coppola film. I think it's maybe the best Coppola film, too. I mean, I know everybody loves Godfather and Godfather 2 and all that, and there's great films and everything, but there's just something about the, uh, the the maybe simplicity of the story of Tucker or or the straightforwardness of which is told or whatever that I find. Maybe it's just the upliftingness of it. Uh, you know, the, Godfather is a little bit too dark. It, it's perfect, too, especially Godfather 2 is perfect, but it is dark. And, and Tucker is by no means a film with a happy ending exactly, but it is nevertheless a film that is uplifting in the end, a film which makes you feel kind of glad to be American, um, which is
4: great, you know. Um, yeah, after, I put the link in the room for people that uh, it's Tucker, uh, The Man in His Dreams, the strap line from uh, 1988. Right. Yeah, a um, really
7: fabulous film. And and I mean, you know, the the, the Red Tails that he was trying to get out forever and ever and ever. Now, I will I will grant you that in its final form, I, I, the dialogue is a little cheesy, but the fact that he devoted so much of his time and effort to finally getting Red Tails done, and that it did come to fruition, is just another thing about George Lucas that is. Amazing, and again, it's this this idea of he is a liberal from San Francisco <laughs> making films that have some sort of political message behind them and that tell us something about the American condition. I mean, he is, despite the fact that you know he, he's the guy that brought us Japan uh, J- Japanese influence into movies, despite a lot of things about him that would argue, really, the you know how can you say that Star Wars is American? It's not is it really kind of every movie that he's made in some way or another is just drenched with Americana. And it's, it's yet to me, it's as an American, it's another thing that is really cool about his, his films is that he, he doesn't shy away from making a political statement. He doesn't shy away from making a difficult film. I mean, Retails Tales, let's not forget is one of the, uh, you know, few dramatic films that has had a, majority black cast we've had obviously a lot of comedy films with majority black cast but drama films with majority black cast that was something that was the hard sell and that's really crazy because he you know he's been really trying to sell it since only about the 80s i think and it's not like the 80s is that much of a backward time you know you wouldn't think it would be that hard to get this done but you know It was, and he still kept trying to do it because even if it doesn't come out to be the most um, well-written script that you've ever seen, it still is a a film that reasonably tells its story, and its story is a fairly incredible
4: one. Well, let me play a clip from that and give you a chance to have a sip of water, and we'll talk a bit about that because that's one of the ones that I've highlighted as well. So here's the clip. It is a little over two minutes.
0: Let's get him!
5: Where are the damn fighters going? Is there anything left
0: of our escort? Mayday! Mayday! Prepare to bail out! Our boy's getting cut to shreds.
3: I need pilots who will put the bombers ahead of themselves.
7: When we came under
0: your command, Colonel, you stated very clearly that we would never find Negroes who could pass a pilot's exam, make it through flight school, survive basic combat. We've done all of that.
7: I don't believe your boys have scored a single aerial kill. It's damn hard to shoot down the enemy a hundred miles behind the front lines.
8: What we do, how well
0: we do it, does it matter?
7: And you all thought what? You'd sign up, and that'd be the end of a hundred
0: years of bigotry. Get your head up, son. You fighter pilots. We have a right to fight for our country, the same as every other American. We will not go away. I can't afford to count losses my bombers have been suffering. Can you help save lives? If you get us new planes, we can help your boys.
5: Nothing's difficult. Everything's a challenge. Through adversity, to, to the, the stars! From the last plane, to the
0: last bullet, to the last minute, to the last man, we fight! We, we fight. fight! We fight! We, we fight! We fight! We fight! At all costs, we protect the heavens.
7: Fighters, 4 o'clock, stay with the bombers. One bomber, that's 10 men.
0: We count our victories by the bombers, we get to their targets. By the husbands, we return to their wives. By the fathers, we get back to their children.
8: Come on, Junior, battle!
4: Uh, I think that's ended now. I should just say, by the way, uh, I haven't seen this film, but I I, I do intend to try and, and get this or watch it because uh, here in the UK on uh, a Channel 5, uh, there's been a series called Heroes of the Skies. And if you can watch episode four, it's about the uh, Tuskegee, if you pronounce it, like, Airman. And uh, the, the chap who did this uh, series, really great, and... Um, he actually said that um, it wasn't known that this was uh, a a group of pilots made up of black airmen because uh, uh, at the time, this was quite a difficult thing to get over. And one of the things that made them stand out and and really uh, get the admiration of all the bomber pilots was that they stuck with the bombers, didn't go flying off as soon as they saw a flight of German fighters up in the sun. Uh, So they protected them more. And apparently it was only when one, uh, the bombers uh, had to make a, a um, because of an engine failure a landing at their base and got out and it was only when they were greeted with all these uh, black pilots that they even knew that this uh, thing uh, the, the the whole wing of uh, airmen were. Uh, made that into the American papers and from then on they were heroes and of course known for the red tail markings on their plane. So if you can get to watch it, it's a Channel 5, Heroes of the Sky and it was the episode uh, 4 which was the one that uh, covered it. So I, I do uh, recommend that. It's Lord Ashcroft, uh, KCMG. Uh, who was talking about it? Yeah, he did another series where he was talking about pilots of the First World War, and talked about some great ones. So absolutely thrilling stories there, uh, and I am looking forward to it. But I can see, as you said, Dav, listening to that trailer, you know, it's a little bit, um, you know, of the stirring dialogue that they perhaps need to put in. Uh, I got a feeling from that it was a little bit like the Memphis Bell, but maybe uh, not. Um, uh, do you want to make any more comments about that? We've got um, oh, it's dropped off again. Um, oh, I thought it was uh, it's Perry that's back. I thought it was Jeff that might have come back on audio. So, um, any any more comments you want to make on that film, Garth? Uh, before we we find out uh, any more from other people in the room, and then I may have a little say myself. Um, <clears throat> not really on that film. OK, well, I'll tell you what, let me mention something that I was going to mention that you may have. A co- we've, we've talked about from the mind of George Lucas uh, and you can't really, uh, really separate the man from things. Uh, and of course, one of the things that he's done um, is he's also become uh, one of the, the biggest uh, people to donate to charity Um philanthropy or whatever however you pronounce it um he's decided along with uh, some of these other people that uh, are big americans the giving pledge you know the bill gates and the warren buffets of this world to give away half of his fortune in his lifetime he gave an awful lot to his uh, old university of course to to uh, create things so it's certainly you know um George Lucas announced on September 19 2006 uh sorry his whole college announced he given between 175 and 800 uh, 180 million to his uh, old school the largest single donation to USC and the largest gift to a school film school anywhere um and um uh, really you know the 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 man who I believe has is it three adopted children he's uh, you know he, he's he's obviously realized that uh, he's as well as having achieved a great lot has had a, a very fortunate life and he's trying to plow back some of that into the people and of course there are lots of awards that he's received but um we are talking mainly about the man uh, ian do you before i go do you want to have any more say our um should I go next, and then we'll see if if uh, if Jeff doesn't come back in the room, I think everybody will have had to say we've got Cybob and Mike, but not on audio, and Perry uh, may want to come in. You can put Perry put in text if you want to come back in. So Ian, are you okay? While I just have a little bit of a say. I can talk right now. Well, there you are. Okay. Well, uh, let me just mention some of the other things. Then uh, the the page that I had open. Uh, also uh, mentioned quite a bit about. We've talked about his films, and we've we, we've kept pretty much to that. But he's done a number of short films as well, and on on television, of course. Uh, the, I don't know what to say them, but Ewok Adventure, Star Wars Droids, um, Young Indra, uh, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, um, The O.C. Uh, Star Wars, The Clone Wars in actual fact I never actually played that clip because uh, i it, it would uh, mislabeled it somehow let me play the let, let's hope I'm not playing the right one this time here we go
0: My Lord, we are vastly outnumbered. Now it's your turn, Master. public.
4: that was a a trailer from the actual movie but uh, I believe they're up to now series five of this and um, I don't know how much longer they can do I mean uh, as somebody said before um, on another podcast of ours uh, you know how many Clone Wars how long can the the story go on very successful I should just mention as well one of the collective uh, Logan has actually interviewed uh, one of the guys that's one of the voice uh, people on that whose name escapes me um, at the moment uh, just to say by the way that um, uh, Logan hopefully his media outsiders should be back on tonight his, his call ID 81865 he's going to be talking about Skyfall Lincoln and Lego Lord of the Rings at 10pm Eastern Daylight Time no that's not much use to those people listening to the recording at a later date but he does do his calls every Sunday at 10pm on Talk Show. um so I don't really think I've got an awful lot to add, other than the fact that um, you know uh, his contribution to films is great. Uh, I mean, he's not just a director, writer, occasional actor, cameo appearances in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, um, and in Hawk, Beverly Hills Cop. We haven't mentioned, but uh, that's because he, he just has little uh, parts in that. And here, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. He's in all four categories of um, director, writer, executive producer, and actor. And um, pretty much, um, along with Steven seal as I said, you know, uh, they they um, were really. I don't know whether they're equal in talent, equal in contributions but we may well discuss that at some point when we do do steven spielberg as from the mind of james arnold taylor thank you very much that was the voice actor that uh was interviewed by logan and if you if you go to logan's page as i say if you skip back i think he did that interview Ooh, must be um a year ago now and um it was a really great uh, show and interview, and he really enjoyed being on that show with um, with Logan. Okay, well, I think uh, I can't find the actual episode. Um, no, I can't find which episode it was, but if you check his page, I'm sure you'll find it. Um well, Ian, I don't know whether you can come back on audio at the moment. You were unable to do so in the moment. While well, we yes, just wait to see. If...
2: I'm available okay. <laughs> uh, sorry.
4: Screaming just...
2: baby time.
4: <laughs> okay, that's absolutely fine. Just to let's say that, that next week uh, our topic is uh, stars. Uh, so it shows that get their uh, get the quick hook, and um, we're talking about shows that get cancelled too soon. And just to mention, by the way, it uh, is a topic that we have. Uh, touched on before, so it is a revisitation in a way Uh, if you want to know, uh, listen back listen back to Cult and Collective Podcast episode 83 which we did in January 2011 where we are talking about shows that were cancelled too soon Supposed to be new shows since then, but you may want to give a little listen back to that. Please also remember if you're listening to these uh, Sunday shows that if you don't subscribe to us on iTunes, we do put midweek episodes up. Uh, currently, the last midweek episode is um, an interview, an interview that we did, uh, that I did in actual fact. Uh, it wasn't available with uh, Michael, Michael from the Tin podcast, on the author. Uh, Of his new book astrology so I do recommend that you give that a listen Um, and um, hopefully there will be another interview going up uh, in a couple of days time and that's the interview I did with uh, Rebecca Housel who's uh, known as the uh, pop culture professor and who has written some books about uh, vampires and other cultures she wrote uh, true blood and philosophy uh, Twilight and Philosophy, X-Men and Philosophy, and uh, she's written a, a collection of essays on film adaptions. And I've done that interview, just finishing the editing, and that should be on. And of course, look out for uh, our continuation of Series 2 uh, of Luther, our um, commentaries that are all available, the ones we've done so far, on com. Oh, and it was episode, what, 28, uh...
2: 108.
4: Uh, 108, episode 108. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I
2: think it was uh, March of 2011.
4: Brilliant, brilliant. that was,
2: uh, there abs- was... A lot of us were there for it, weren't we?
4: Yeah, we were indeed. And uh, the guy was giving us some real off-the-cuff impressions, you know, and really it was uh, one of Logan's uh, best. Uh, he did an interview with uh, a chap who... Uh, Play Superman uh, or does Superman outside Man's Chinese Theatre. I think I'm not sure whether it's still allowed to there. That was another of his great shows, so uh, uh, do check those out. Okay, Ian, I'm going to hand back to you because uh, Jeff uh, was hopefully going to make it back on the audio, uh, has not been able to do. Ken's audio has dropped out, and uh, uh, Perry has already said that he's done. So I think anybody who does have any comments, uh they could do so as we uh say our goodbyes. Yeah.
2: I just want to add that uh I i uh I love Willow as well as a movie and um it was always a great sense of pride because uh back when Willow came out there hadn't been that many like popular movies that had been filmed on you know in part at least on location in general that, that the public were really aware of. Um, or at least I wasn't, and so it was a great sense of pride knowing that this, this movie that I liked and had seen, uh, I could say, oh, yeah, someone that was filmed in New Zealand. You know, now it's just like, so what? All of Lord of the Rings have been filmed there? It's like, ah, well.
3: <laughs>
2: but it was fantastic. It's like, oh, cool, you know. Um, I love that movie. It's, it's got all the things that I really kind of like, uh, you know, sword and sorcery and, and uh, some funny little creatures and um, got some interesting special effects in there, but... Uh, uh, like some of the monsters are a bit odd. Um, but yeah, I, I love that movie. Um, very fun memories of watching that. Uh, I'm going to actually dig that one out again I think for the kids. Because it's a lot of fun. You know, it's a good, just a good fun adventure movie. Um, and, you know, Phil Kermel's kind of cool in it. <laughs> as well as, I, I think one of the things that, that I like about it is that, uh, that he, you know, he's this hero that's not really, you know, he's a bit of a um, Bit of a goofball kind of hero that's you, know, you can't really take too seriously, and uh, I think it was a great character. But yeah, all right. Um, so I'm going to quick go around the room. Uh, I know Perry said he didn't have anything to say, but I'm going to ask him anyway. Perry, anything more to add before we close out the room?
1: Uh, no, I, I will mention about Willow. My youngest brother had that on videotape, and I've seen it about probably 200 times so I <laughs> actually know Willow very well <laughs> to be honest I didn't realize George Lucas had anything to do with Willow or I forgot I guess before today but yeah that that's a great movie I'd recommend it for anybody yep.
4: but yeah. fantastic yeah he was the writer and executive producer on it okay
2: yeah and uh, Darth anything else to add before we say our goodbyes
5: I suppose that we have
7: kind of missed the um, the whole technical side of the mind of George Lucas, which has made so many things that we take for granted possible. Um, in part, of course, you've got you know the special effects department, you've got the sound effects department, you've got um, the sound uh, distribution and video distribution part. You know, part of the Mind of George Lucas is simply the way you watch movies today in a movie theater. you know it, it is the fact that you have digital production. It is the fact that you have an, an amazing sound system in most cases that includes you know multi channel s- surround sound um, almost all of that has everything in the world to do with george lucas and, and the fact that there are such things at least in the United States and to some degree in the United Kingdom as well as a multiplex the whole reason that multiplexes came into existence was because of Star Wars because of the huge popularity of that film they had to start building theaters that had more theaters in them more individual theaters Um, and you know Star Wars created the phenomena of the summer blockbuster in order to fill up those theaters but the thing is The other side of George Lucas is, as Dave just pointed out most recently, this sort of small, uh, short film side. Um, And and the great thing about having a multiplex is, all right, you've got enough to accommodate things um, when it's summertime and when everybody in the world wants to watch whatever the newest crappy popcorn film is. But then what do you do in November? What do you do in February? Well you got all this space, so that means there is now an exhibition area for smaller films, for films that really wouldn't make it in July. You now have a place to put these smaller films, and you know, independent filmmaking as a genre has exploded because of George Lucas, because not only is he supportive directly of a lot of projects that we'll never know about, because he just gives people money he has made it possible for there to be a platform
3: to exhibit
7: this stuff. And and that, that's an extraordinary thing. And it has fundamentally changed the nature of the film business. And, and so all these little criticisms about, oh, he should stop messing with Star Wars. He's messing with my childhood. All that is just crap because it shows a fundamental lack of understanding of what it is George Lucas is about.
4: Yeah, and, and and I would think as well that there's so many directors just didn't have that latitude to, uh, you know, do things with their product. I mean, they, I'm sure I remember 10, 20 years ago so many cases where the director wanted to put out a director's cut and the studio wouldn't let them and they had to fight for it. Right. Or, or just, you know, you had so many
7: fans that were Simply making it to Cannes. Simply making it to Telluride. Um,
3: simply making
7: it to a film festival somewhere in the world in order to get some critical notice. But then they would die. Because there's nowhere for the average moviegoer to see them. And they would go, you know, maybe they would go
4: direct to... Yeah, you're it out to get them, sorry, Duff. They would go
7: direct to, to video or whatever.
4: But they wouldn't be able to be
7: seen... Theatrically whatsoever, um, and and luckily now you'll find in most certainly most American markets you'll find at least one city in a theater. I mean, sorry, one theater in a city, which um, will have a regular like Tuesday night or Wednesday night or Thursday night thing where they exhibit independent films, and you don't know what the film is, but they'll just exhibit something, and so you go along there and and you can watch it, and the whole reason that they can even do that is because they had to build multiplexes in order to accommodate Star Wars so I mean it's just this, and and we've not even really gone into the other things that have you know he is the father of Pixar at the <laughs> end of the day he's the guy that started that um, you know with Steve Jobs but still you know he helped start that he, and, and we haven't talked about you know Lucas' education, everything that he does for um, education, in, primarily in the United States, of course, but still, you know, the way that he's leveraging media in order to better educate kids is a big deal. Um, and, you know, we haven't talked about his impact on the video game industry, which is, you know, again, pretty freaking huge. I mean, LucasArts as a, as a video production, a video game production house is or was one of the hugest ones around. you know, And, and it's not been all about um, just re- sort of repackaging the, the Star Wars franchise in a video game form. It is in part about that, but it's also a lot of it about you know pushing the boundaries. There are a lot of LucasArts games which have nothing to do with Star Wars, but which are well regarded within the um, video gaming industry, like Grim Fandango, like you know, Monkey Island, like whatever. Um, and so the, the influence that he's had on that industry is sort of analogous to the uh, influence he's had on the film industry, because again, he's always driven to push out the boat and to do innovative things, which is great. Okay. Yeah,
8: I've uh, covered I mean, some right things, level, yeah. but
2: in my own way and <laughs> not so, um, yeah. Sorry. I glossed over everything, pretty much.
4: <laughs> but I'm good at that, right? Right?
2: Yeah. Sorry, Dave.
4: Yeah, shallows his middle name. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I do take your point, but uh, I mean, we always say we cover what we do with those people on audio and. Uh, I, although we certainly haven't gone into any depth of any of those things, I did at least briefly mention his uh, phil, 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 I can't say it philanthropic uh, nature of his contributions towards certainly film education. But um, I mean, I mean to sum this man up in let's face it, we've been two and a half hours, but half an hour that was our intro and news and Bond news and Doctor Who news. So in less than two hours to try and cover you know you know a man's career uh, there's no way we could have covered it all um and uh, maybe we'll also going to mention when we we do do from the mind of uh, Steven Spielberg some weeks or months probably will not be down until the new year sometime but um this is uh, this and also we 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 do from time to time uh, you know contribute just talking about the actual work contributions of these men but uh, your point is well taken Darth. um But I think at this point in time, uh, we perhaps need to end end today's show.
2: Before my marriage ends. (laughs) She's already been in twice saying, are you done yet? (laughs) All right. uh, Thank you all for joining us and uh, listening in, of course, too. Um, And you'll catch us next week. Same bad time, same bad channel, uh, where we will be talking about... Shows that got the, got the quick hook. Yeah. <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> yeah. I think we should have got the hook long ago, Dave. But hey. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, like they said, we've we've kind of covered this in a way before. But uh, I like to think of this one as we just get to talk about all of them and why the bad ones got pulled. Um, the last the last topic was it was more along the lines of the ones that you know really kind of didn't necessarily deserve it, it or deserve to have a, a little more exposure before they got uh, chucked out. So, yes, we'll be talking about the good and the bad, but that's next week. All right, Dave, ready to go?
4: Yeah, can you play the clip or not?
2: Oh, yes, I can. All right, until next time, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC.
4: It's goodbye from Ian. Is it Howard? The duck? Now, <laughs> Ian, the sixth doctor.
2: Goodbye, everybody.